Welcome to the How to Become a Career Coach podcast. Let me ask you a question. Do you enjoy helping other people? Do people keep coming to you for advice? Or maybe you keep finding yourself in career conversations. If you want to know what it really takes to become a career coach and help others pursue work they love by doing something that you love, well, then this is the podcast for you. We will be talking to experienced career coaches, exploring what it really means to be a career coach and how they were able to first get their start, the challenges they overcame, and many lessons learned along the way. I'm Scott Anthony Barlow. I'm the CEO and founder of Happen to Your Career and the creator of the Professional Career Coach Training and Certification. Welcome to the How to Become a Career Coach podcast. I am incredibly ecstatic today because of our guest. The coach that we have with us today is somebody who I've gotten to know really well over the years. And she has a rather amazing story for how she transitioned into career coaching in the first place. We're going to dig so far into that. And at the same time, I also got the opportunity to work with her for a period of time too through Happen to Your Career. And I would go so far as to say, I believe she is one of the best career change coaches on the face of the earth today. So I'm especially excited to welcome to the podcast, Lisa Lewis. How are you? I am good. I'm blushing over here a little bit, but appreciate the accolades. It's cool to get to reunite with you in jam today. Yeah, we just, before we hit the record button here, uh, realized that Skype, which we're recording over, tracks the last time that you've talked. And apparently it's been six months since we've talked, give or take. I don't know, maybe on the phone once in between there somewhere, but it's been a, it's been a while. So I'm excited to chat today, especially in this context, because I know a whole bunch about your story. What I also know is that our listeners may not know about it. So, but I think you have a really very cool and unique story into how you found your way to career coaching and also, I think part of that has contributed to why you're so effective at helping people with their careers in a variety of capacities, too. So what did you do prior to career coaching? Let's go back here for a moment. In my first life as a young professional, I was working in marketing and communications in Washington, D.C. in various capacities. I started out working at a nonprofit doing online new media, helping them run their website redesign and do their external communications because I was looking for a role that would really feel heart-centered for me. And then I ran out of growth runway there. So then I made the switch over to work at a digital advocacy and grassroots communications consulting firm, which is about as DC as you can possibly (laughs) get. Yeah. And I was there for four years helping do tons of consulting on grassroots mobilization advocacy, how to affect policy making and change and how to create behavior change in people who care a lot about something, but don't yet know how to do a lot about that something. And I did that for four years and was noticing that I had all this room to grow, all this upward mobility, all these opportunities. I was set on a track to make VP by 28, maybe even 27. And I was just crushing it on what looked like a very successful career path, but it felt completely and utterly soulless for me. I could do the work and I was real good at doing the work and I had no desire to do this work and especially not for the next decades of my career after that. 
So I went through a really big, if not this, then what period and started wondering, well, maybe I have been taking this Goldilocks approach where the nonprofit was too cold and the communications consulting firm is too hot. And maybe if I can bring together upward mobility and growth and passion by working at a client that I really, really care about, but that's private sector, maybe it will be the perfect fit for me to finally find a place that'll be the right job for me. So I found an opportunity like that, doing digital media and online advertising buys for an ed tech company based right outside of DC. And I thought, this checks all the boxes for me. This is going to be great. This will be my forever home. This is perfect. And then what I realized, probably six months into the time that I was there, was that it wasn't just that the marketing work felt soulless because of the consulting environment I had been in. It was that I wanted to work on clients and issues and things that felt really meaningful and juicy and meaty for me. And that I had this secret dream of entrepreneurship that was not going away. And there was no place that I was going to go and be able to work full time and still feel like I was allowing myself to pursue this bigger, crazy, scary dream that I had about what I really, really wanted in my life. So let me ask you about that. Question number one is, you mentioned that you wanted to work on those things that were much more immediate and fulfilling for you. What did you feel like was missing or what did you feel like created more of that fulfillment type? What did you think created more of that fulfillment for you? That Yeah, great question. Well, one of the things that I wasn't thinking about in my own journey that I've learned is really important is that when you're thinking about what feels meaningful and fulfilling for you, there are a lot of different lenses that you can look at that question from. And I had been thinking about it through the lens of the issue. Like, what's the problem I want to help people solve? What's the sector that I want to be in? But what I came to discover is that I wasn't thinking about it through the lens of scale. Do I want to be helping individuals, teams, groups, departments, universities, cities, countries, etc.? And when I started looking at it through that lens, I realized really quickly that my love is in working one-on-one with people and helping individual human beings have transformations, have breakthroughs, have insights. And so any role where I was going to be working at a different scale than that, while it would be impressive on the outside for sure, wouldn't feel juicy and fulfilling for me on the inside. I don't know if anybody who's listening here is a, a strengths finder junkie or an assessment junkie, but relator comes up for me every single time I take the assessment. And it is all about those one-on-one, really intimate, really going deep types of relationships. Yeah. So here's the other question then. You mentioned this itch for entrepreneurship. What caused that for you? Where did that come from? Or do you know where that came from? I'm curious about that. (laughs) Well, there, I mean, with any story, there are a couple different ways to tell it. I feel like the entrepreneurship story could be told through the lens of, I grew up and my mom started her own business and I admired how incredibly courageous she was, how many different problems she solved, the things that she had built. Another way to tell the entrepreneurship story, which is also equally true for me, is that I have really strong values and very strong opinions about things. 
And <laughs> you guys who are listening to this yes. can't see this, but Scott is he is nodding his head over there. That I have a really strong point of view on what I believe is fair, right, just, accurate, etc. And as I started to enter the working world, even in the nonprofit space, I was finding that despite all of my best attempts to play the political games, to bring people alongside of me, to communicate what I felt was right and true, I was continually being put in these situations where I had to do things that I didn't feel like in my heart and gut were right. And what started to become clearer and clearer to me was that in order to be in a situation where you are always going to be doing what your heart and gut say are right, you usually have to be the boss. So the idea of getting to be in a space where it's not that I am working in a silo by myself and it's not that I'm rejecting other people's opinions or ideas or ways to do things, but that I get to be really, really acting from a place of my values, that just made entrepreneurship feel so exciting and so resonant for me. And I'll say for all of our assessment junkies who are listening to this, I'm also in the Myers-Briggs and INTJ. And any of you folks who are strong NTs or strong NFs probably feel me on this where it's like your values and your beliefs about what's right and just and pure and wonderful in the world are hugely important to you. Yeah. So let me ask you a completely different question then. As you went through and you made the move into into ed tech, and then there, that was the that was the point where I know quite a bit, obviously, about your story. But that was the point where there was an opportunity for transition, or rather, you created the opportunity for transition. So, what caused you to move down the path to become a career coach in the in the first place? Aside from the moving away and evaluating what was missing, what prompted you to make the decision that? you wanted to become a career coach and then to actually make it happen. Mm. I know you'll probably link to this in the show notes, but I talk a bit about this part of my story in another podcast episode, but I'll frame it up here as I started exploring the idea of becoming a career coach as a series of little experiments to figure out what I actually liked and what I actually wanted in my career. So it was a really iterative approach. It had a lot of rinse and repeat moments in it. Because I didn't start out thinking I want to leave digital marketing to go and be a coach. It started out as I'm really feeling dissatisfied in digital marketing, but I love managing and supporting people. And I love talking about personal branding and career pathing. And my first instinct was go become a therapist. So then I went and I tried out being a therapist. I didn't go all the way into grad school and starting grad school, but I did apply, take the GRE and then run some small scale tests to see what it would be like in a day-to-day way to be sitting in the life of a therapist. And then I realized, well, shoot, that doesn't feel like the right fit for me. So if I come back to those nuggets of what I know to be true, that I don't want to be a therapist and talking to people about you know, their, their romantic relationships or about self-harm and things like that, but I still really like having one-on-one conversations with people and talking to them about career things, Why don't I look for a place where you actually get to focus in on the career level? And that's when career coaching became something that was on my radar. I spoke with a career coach about what her experience was like and what she loved about it. And then I actually went and got coaching myself because I, again, wanted to know, what does it feel like? 
both to be the practitioner and the coach, but also to be sitting in the, the seat of the coachee. What does coaching feel like that's different from therapy? What does coaching feel like that's different than consulting and advising? And through that process and through that work, I got the clarity that career coaching could actually be a really fabulous potential fit for me, which then made me go and do my next small scale experiment, which was putting out a shingle as a coach before I had a certification, before I'd done training, just to say, hey, I have this capacity to be able to help and serve. Can I actually make any money doing it? And use those first couple of clients to get me the validation that I actually really enjoyed the work and getting to be a coach to then justify and validate for myself making the investment into going and getting coaching training and setting up my website and all those other pieces that come along with it. So one of the questions we get asked all the time is what qualifies you to be a career coach? I think that there's a lot of answers that can go in here, but what I'm really interested in is what do you feel like someone has to have or what qualifications do you feel like somebody has to have or should have, or maybe needs to have whatever way you want to term that in order to make them a good coach, a great coach? What do you feel like that? Oh, this is such a good question, Scott. So the answer of what qualifications do you need to have to call yourself a coach is, can you help people with solving any problem, no matter how big or how small? And do you tend to do it through the work of asking questions and inquiry? If you're giving people complete advice and telling them how to live their lives, you're probably not a coach. You're probably more of a consultant, advisor, that kind of thing. And if you can't help people solve a problem, then you're more kind of a hobbyist and just asking people questions and being a really good listening ear as a friend, but maybe not hitting that sweet spot of coaching. But what I also want to say is that there are tons of coaches out there at the topmost levels who have never been through a single coaching training. And there are tons of people who are incredibly powerful, effective coaches who focus in on just the place that they really love helping people. Like one of my favorites is Tanya Geisler. She talks all about how to wrestle with and get through imposter syndrome. That little teeny space, that is her niche. That is her playground. That is her kingdom, her queendom, her queendom. And she is incredible at that work. So in order to be a career coach, you don't necessarily have to know everything and be able to answer all the questions, soup to nuts, start to finish. You can choose to specialize in something. You can choose to be bigger and broader and generalized. And you don't have to have all the knowledge because coaching in itself is a form of listening and asking powerful questions of the other person to help them figure out what's true for them. So having background information can be fabulous, but you don't have to be the person who knows everything about every single industry, every single geography, every single job title to be able to still be super helpful and powerfully influential in shaping your client's ability to see what they want and go get it. So a couple of things I'm taking from that then. One, I think that you have just busted through the the myth that you have to have all your ducks in a row or like, I'm going to go get the certification and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. And then finally, miraculously, when I get to the long winding journey at the dark at the top of the tower, then, then I can finally be a coach. 
and you're proof of that too. So I love that you're walking the walk as well. And let me actually jump yeah. in really quickly just to add some thoughts there of what I'm not saying is don't resource yourself to get better. If you want to take a training program, if you want to read 100 books, if you want to apprentice under Scott Barlow, whatever you want, give yourself opportunities to keep growing and learning and adding more tools to your tool set. Like, for example, this year, right now, I am doing a coaching training program, the Courageous Living Coaching Certification. And you might be looking at me and thinking, Lisa, you started your business in 2015. You've coached almost 500 clients. Why on earth are you taking a coaching training program? And the answer is because I am continuing to learn new tools, new mental models, new questions, new approaches, new road bumps that people run into. And it is continuing to make me more effective at my job and more able to help people more deeply. So it isn't that you need to have all these things at the beginning to get started. You can be acquiring them along the way as you go. But also, don't just put yourself out there without any training, any background, any reading of books, any experiential education and call yourself a coach because that's what makes the whole industry have this bit of a reputation that people can be fraudy. Yeah. That's an interesting point that you bring up. So here's what I'm pulling out of that. One, you can move before you have some of the pieces and you can simultaneously learn and it does not have to happen necessarily one before the other. It can happen truly at the same time. And there's going to be different evolutions of that as well. And I believe that one of the reasons, you know, at the beginning of this, I said, I believe that you're one of the, one of the best career change coaches in the world. And I think part of the reason for that is you're always going to continue to learn. You're always going to continue to push the bar higher for yourself. And that comes around for the people that you have the opportunity to support and help through whatever's going on in their life and their career. So I think that is a big part of it in one way or another. And also you didn't let it stop you that you didn't have, I don't know, X certification on certain days and master coach of this and whatever else you were doing both at the same time for all intents and purposes and validating that you actually wanted to be there before you took massive, massive, massive investments of, of time or something else along those lines too. Totally. Well, and Scott, I want to also say too, that I am certain in the coaching training program that you run, that this is exactly how you help people to create that sense of confidence and capability and that sense of being able to put themselves out there as a coach is by encouraging people, start before you're ready. Start serving people. You don't have to know everything to get started. You don't have to know everything to be able to help. Yeah. As it turns out, I've found, I think, almost exactly pretty close to zero times where people feel like they're 100% ready before actually doing something. It doesn't work that way in reality. You go out there and you hit that point or hit that milestone or help that person or have that conversation before you feel like you're ready. And then that's what allows you to feel like you're ready after you do a couple of those and begin to build confidence around it. It does not work in reverse. And that's why I say exactly zero times. So very much appreciate what you're saying there. Yeah. Well, and to to piggyback on that too, that when people get out there before they're ready, you're talking about the the sunny parts of that helps you to feel more confident and more self-assured and more capable. But there are also those times that people are afraid of that 100% happen where you get yourself into a coaching situation where somebody's asking you things and you are, you're drawing a blank. You lose your train of thought. 
You have no ideas for questions to ask or ways to support them. And putting yourself in a situation where you can actually mess up, you can quote unquote fail, and you can get feedback that you weren't as helpful as you wanted to be is a huge indicator that you're going to be able to be successful as a coach. Because when you put yourself into that experience and you realize, oh crap, I really wanted to support that person better than I did. Your integrity is calling you to go get tons more resources and tons more tools. And you know exactly what you need to research, what you need to learn, what you'd like to to do better next time. And even things that you can send to your client afterwards to help them feel like they're more taken care of. So being willing to put yourself in situations where it's possible that you will get stumped or won't have all the tools to help your client navigate their situation in that moment is such a fast and effective and strategic way to help you figure out how to enhance your own toolbox and help you figure out how do I stay in integrity with a client when we've had what felt like a crappy session and I want to support them more? Do you give them more tools? Do you give them another free bonus session? It's a cool, courageous, but also super vulnerable thing to do that I think separates the people who are going to be great coaches from the people who are going to dream of being great coaches. Mm, I like that quite a bit. So on that note, then you mentioned those hard parts where you gave the example of, you know, maybe you had a, a time where you weren't able to help some people in the way that you wanted to. But I'm curious for you, what has been the hardest thing in becoming a coach in whatever capacity? What has been really particularly challenging for you? What does the other side of it look like? Mm, Well, so for me, the hardest thing about becoming a coach is sort of the hardest thing about becoming an entrepreneur. Because I did tons and tons of free practice coaching for zero dollars before I started charging people money consistently. And I did tons of coaching at, at, you know, very affordable, reasonable rates to keep growing that ability to feel comfortable with charging people money. But the thing that was the hardest for me was in learning how to vulnerably, courageously, and visibly put myself out there and call myself a coach and own this label of being a coach. And one of the things that I talk to people about all the time who want to go into coaching as a profession is that it is the very best personal development regimen you will ever go through because it brings up all of your crap, all your insecurities, (laughs) your fears, your wonders, your worries, all the stuff that your clients are inevitably going to be asking for help and support on. You kind of have to go through in an experiential way to be able to not just coach them with questions, but also provide ideas and strategies and perspective on. So for me, the idea of, oh my gosh, how do I tell people that I am a coach? You know, what are they going to think? How are they going to judge me? Are they just going to assume that I'm a life coach who sits and sings kumbaya with her clients for 60 minutes, wrestling with all those demons and those wonders and those what ifs and the potential judgments was the most difficult part of this work for me and has been the most radically transformative part for me. I'm so glad that you bring this up. And this is something that I don't think gets talked about a lot. Behind the scenes is we've helped a lot of different coaches make transitions like this. We've realized that this is actually something that's huge that people don't anticipate. And I think maybe that's even one of the reasons why it's so huge is because it there's just not a lot of talk about it in terms of the transition, but so much so that we even added a section 
to our professional coaching certification program that addresses exactly this, talking about this trial by fire, as we call it, within the program. But I'm curious for you, what did you find was really the most helpful as you were moving through that? Because it's sometimes a uh, bit of an identity crisis that does all those things that you, you mentioned in terms of like forces up all your own stuff in ways that you just don't anticipate. Yeah. Well, and what was most helpful for me was the exact same advice about what's most helpful for people getting started in coaching, which is start before you're ready, put yourself out there, be courageous, be willing to have people say the things to your face that you are afraid they're saying behind your back. Because if you're doing work that nobody has a response to, positive or negative, then it brings up a real existential question of, are you doing meaningful, good work. So it's actually a litmus test for the quality and the caliber of stuff you're putting out there uh, if it's a little bit polarizing and if it's getting feedback, both on the positive and the negative sides. You know, I remember, and I got this email maybe six months ago, I received a message from somebody after I had written an article on Medium, because that's one of my biggest marketing strategies. And this, this guy wrote me this email and he said, you know, I work for a Fortune 500 company and I don't really appreciate that you swear in your articles and think that's unprofessional and nobody in a Fortune 500 company would ever hire you. <laughs> and I had this reaction of, like, I don't even know you. You don't know me. You're not a client. You're not a friend. Like, why on earth would you send me this message? You're not trying to be helpful. You're trying to cut me down. And I've worked with people at Fortune 20 companies. And I've spoken at Fortune 500 companies and been paid to do so and just had this, this sense of both like telling him to sort of F off. <laughs> That'd be the ultimate irony. Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> but also having the sense of, oh my gosh, what if he's right? Yeah. Like, oh, all the terrible things that I thought someone might actually say about me are now being delivered to me. And in that moment, I got to have this experience of huh, I can survive this. I don't actually care what this person thinks because they're not a good fit for me. There's another career coach over there who wears a button down and a tie, even though they're working from home and has completely gray hair and has been in the leadership at a you know Fortune 100 company for 11 years who would be a perfect coach for that person. You know, the people who I want to be working with and who are attracted by my flavor are only going to see and hear about my flavor if I put myself out there vulnerably. So it actually helped me redouble being vulnerable and visible and going for it on swear words and telling people how I really feel. And it continues to bring the people towards me and my coaching practice who resonate with that. I mean, I can't even tell you, Scott, the number of emails that I get from potential clients where they say, oh my gosh, I'm an INTJ or I'm a Ravenclaw or I've always wanted to travel to Bali. And so the more visible you make yourself while you're all also for sure exposed, it also sets you up for being able to be successful and serve the people that you want to serve and serve as powerfully as you have the capacity to. So I have two thoughts in my head. One, which is less relevant here, but I feel like I'm going to tell you anyways that my youngest son just got Ravenclaw jammies. So that'll make you, you proud. Yeah. Because he's a Ravenclaw too. <clears throat> Gryffindor over here. But 
aside from Isn't that, great. I can go hang out by <laughs> you stay in your own common room. <laughs> I think the other piece of it, though, is that that's right. I think that's a huge fear for people in a variety of different ways as they're putting themselves out there, because the ultimate reason why we're not interested in putting ourselves out there, whether it's later on for our businesses as we're writing content and after we've made the decision to become a career coach or, you know, in terms of like maybe even earlier on, like changing the status on LinkedIn to have career coach in the title in some ways to even, you know, telling a family member that, hey, this is something I'm considering. And in all those cases, it's the fear of being rejected in one way or another or not being accepted for yourself that drives a lot of that. And also the really, I think, kind of interesting and ironic part there is that that's actually okay. And in fact, it's good <laughs> if you're getting that type of feedback because that means that what you're doing is reaching people in a way that, uh, that matters to them, for them to take their time and express any type of action, positive or negative. That's a sign that you're on the right track and doing something, as you said earlier, much more meaningful. <laughs> and much more polarizing too. So really appreciate that example very much. And here's the other side of that too. I'm curious, now that you've been on this track for a while, and also since you and I haven't talked for a little bit here, I'm curious of your today answer versus, I don't know, two years ago answer. How, how has it shaped your life to be a career coach? Oh my gosh, Scott, I could get emotional talking about the answer to this question because I didn't know going into career coaching that it was going to transform who I am, how I show up for people, how judgmental or now less judgmental it makes you, how compassionate it makes you, how much perspective it gives you, how you become a better listener, how you learn to become less triggered, how you learn to connect with more people and find more common ground with people and understand people. I mean, I had no idea when I first went down this path, but I knew when I first started this path that I was craving deeper conversations and more, more meaningful connections with the people in my life, you know, family, friends, coworkers, everything. And in order to become a really good coach, there's so much of that inner work that you have to do that you don't even realize you don't even know about, that is in a blind spot for you, and that changes who you are. And so I think like if there are things about becoming a coach that makes somebody scared, they kind of should, because coaching is going to transform you if you let it, if you lean into it. I'm sure you're talking about your answer to this in another episode, but I bet it informs the way that you parent, the way that you and Alyssa make decisions together. I'm sure it informs the way that you run your business and how you treat your employees in ways that you couldn't have done 10 years ago. And I feel like, as like a, a sort of weird aside, I am in the most incredible and healthy romantic relationship I have ever been in because coaching has taught me how to ask tough questions, how to stand up for myself, how to express my opinions how to confront with kindness, how to find creative collaborative solutions. And without those tools in my toolbox, I would have never been able to be in a relationship with a man who's incredible, as incredible as the one that I'm dating right now. And so it's like, even if 
that was the only outcome of me going through coaching training. Even if I decided I never wanted to run a career coaching business, but it allowed for me to access love in a deeper way, it's like, shoot, that's worth the investment times 10. So it's, it's gonna rock your world. It is going to revolutionize your life if you let it. And if you're the sort of person for whom that's scary and exciting, uh, yes. and, and that's sort of the invitation that you've been waiting for, maybe for your whole life, then let that be the light at the end of the tunnel and the holy grail that you let yourself start moving towards to create the career transformation, but also the life transformation that's possible for you. Mic drop? I feel like you could just drop the mic right there. And the reason I'm hesitating here is because it's really fun to have gotten to know you on the beginning side of your journey and begin to hear you now. So <laughs> I, I don't know what would be the equivalent. I'm having like a proud friend, proud, I don't know, brotherly type uh, type of moment here. So good, good job. Great job, actually, is I think uh, really what I want to say more so than anything else. And that's awesome. And it just makes me really, really excited. And I'm curious now, today, to give people a, a glimpse into this too, in terms of what your life looks like now, what, what does a day in your life look like? And I, there's probably, if yours is like mine right now, there's not necessarily an average day. However, pick a day out of your life. What does that look like? Yeah. Well, let me share both what a day in my life would have looked like in 2016 and what it looks like today, because I think that there are really, really important distinctions. Because the business model that I was running in 2016 would not have allowed for me to be where I am today. It would have never allowed for me to replace my full-time income and then some. It would have never allowed for me to have this flexibility. But you've got to do the things in the beginning startup days, that then set up the foundations for the later days to come. So a day in the life in 2016 would have been probably... 60 to 70% marketing and, and administrative activities. It would have been reaching out to people saying, hey, would you be interested in scheduling a call? It would have been writing blog posts, trying to get on podcasts, maybe recording my own podcast, maybe recording my own web show, like doing tons and tons of foundational legwork to start to establish some thought leadership and some credibility and some visibility to attract clients in. Because I think that people have this perception that if you go and become a full-time coach, that you get to be coaching people 30 or 40 hours a week. People just show up in lines at the doors, right? Just. <laughs> and if it was that easy, there would probably be a million career coaches. But there is a lot of sweat equity that goes in, especially in the beginning, to build up a foundation so that people know who you are, you know who you are, and you start to establish some external indicators of credibility. So back in 2016, one of my biggest focuses was how do I get quoted in articles about career things so that I have these external things that I can point to to show people to say, yeah, I've only worked with 10 clients so far, but I'm being quoted on XYZ websites. That would have been what one of the early days looked like. A lot of connecting, a lot of offering to help, a lot of putting myself out there. Fast forwarding to today. What a typical day looks like for me is I'm probably doing coaching 60 to 70% of the day, which is awesome and such a cool blessing. 
And I've also really systematized a lot of the marketing things that I do. So Mondays are marketing Mondays. And I almost never take client calls or prospective client calls. And I write like the Dickens. I reach out to former clients to see if I can get testimonials and case studies. I reach out to prospective clients to see if they want to connect. And then a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and sometimes Friday will look much more like doing tons of coaching calls during the day or prospective client conversations during the day because you got to get comfortable doing sales calls in a way that feels good and authentic to you to then get somebody to make a deposit and make a commitment to the transformation so that you earn the right to serve them. So you got to create the space in your life for that, even at the level that I'm at and that you're at. So my day looks like a lot more client-facing, client-service, but it still has little pieces of the marketing going on and the sales piece going on so that I can keep building a pipeline for myself and a business for myself that's sustainable. When you say sustainable, what does that mean for you? So for me, sustainable means building a business model that does not leave me in a cold sweat on the end of the month or the beginning of the month. I want a business model where I have a certain number of prospective client conversations that I'm looking to have in a given month, and I'm setting up the marketing activities to enable that to better happen. And I also want to set up a business model where I can project out a little bit of the income that I'm going to have in a coming month. So different people set up their business models in different ways to be able to do that. But having, you know, multiple part payments can help with that. Having people have certain start dates can help with that. Having people on retainers can help with that. So playing with whatever sustainability means for you in terms of the financial numbers that hit so that your stress and happiness can be where you need them to be. That's sort of how I think about sustainability for myself in this era of business. Let me ask you one more question here because... Well, one, you as a career coach have progressed a really long way over what I would consider a relatively short period of time. Additionally, your business has has done the same. And with everything that you know now, I'm curious, what would you do if you could go back and do all over it again? With with all those things that you, you now know, if instead of years to do all of this, if you only had three months to get into career coaching, learn some of the things that you need to learn most and start your business up, what would you do? What would be some of those most important pieces? Mm. Well, what I've learned through the past four years is that people can't hire you. They don't know who you are. So if I had three months to go from zero to full-time income, my goal would be to put myself out there and be as visible as is humanly possible. So that would mean things like doing tons of one-on-one personalized emails to every friend, family, former coworker, classmate from college, any person that I ever have met to say, hey, I am becoming a coach, starting up my practice. I'm giving people an opportunity to get in at the ground level at a really discounted rate. Would you be interested in talking or do you know somebody who would be interested in talking? And I would just try to make as many connections and relationships and then as many offers as humanly possible. Because the more practice that you get in talking with somebody about whether or not they'll become a client, the easier it gets, the more comfortable it gets, and the higher your close rate is going to get. So I think about it like putting miles on a car. You need to put a certain number of miles on the car 
to get the number of conversations with clients to close and turn into business that you need to be able to be profitable and happy. So I would do everything in my power to be visible and seen. You know, maybe I would try to get on a ton of podcasts. Maybe I would start my own. Maybe I would do, you know, all kinds of different marketing-y things. I know I started my business by hosting a an in-person girls breakfast, you know, and like empowerment workshop where all these different fabulous ladies came together and I led them through a coaching exercise. So if there are leveraged ways to speak to people, webinars, in-person sessions, guests teaching a class, going into corporate environments, I would just use every possible way to have people see my face, know my name, and know a little bit about what I'm about, and then give me some way to stay in contact with them so that I could follow up and get on the phone with them and see what they're wrestling with and what the biggest struggles have been and how I might be able to help. I love it. I appreciate you sharing that. And that means a lot. Well, knowing you and also knowing a bit about your business as well. Lisa, as always, we don't always hit the record button every single time we talk. However, it's always a pleasure every time I get to get on the phone, Skype, anything else with you. I am always excited to chat. And thank you so very, very much for making the time today. Mm, Likewise, Scott. I feel like if even just one person listens to this podcast and either decides, yes, I am totally in for becoming a career coach or no, they have told me all I need to know. This would be a terrible fit for me. And we have totally done our jobs. So thank you for the opportunity. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode on How to Become a Career Coach. Go to howtobeacareercoach.com to sign up for our 14-day email series that takes you through step-by-step everything you need to become a career coach and find out how it could be possible for you. 